When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford. And now that we are a week removed from the MLB trade deadline, I've got a very special guest on the show today. He's a national baseball writer over at CBS Sports and formerly of DRaiseBay.com. It's RJ Anderson. RJ, what's going on, man? Uh, it's busy, 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 as you'd expect. How about yourself, though? Uh, you know, I, I think probably less busy than you, uh, but still, you know, <laughs> trying to keep up with, with podcasts and everything at D-Rays Bay. You know, we, we talked a little bit before we went on air that, you know, you know Rob Manfred of Major League Baseball decided to, to put the draft right before the trade deadline just for you, RJ. Yeah, it's a personal vendetta, I guess. But now it's, I don't know, I don't think anyone actually understands why or what the value is. And I have a lot of front office people who complain constantly about it, too. So it makes me feel like, you know, maybe it's not just against me. Maybe it's just against humanity as a whole. Well, originally, like before COVID, wasn't weren't they going to move the draft to like take place in Omaha right before yeah. the start of the College World Series? Yeah, I don't really understand how COVID, you know, maligned those plans because uh, I think that would have been cooler. Would have been a better experience in terms of you know the atmosphere. Probably a better experience for the players themselves. But I don't know. I guess they said, oh, let's just do the All Star Game instead. Maybe it's easier logistically. I don't know. And they're still trying to make it more of like an event, it feels like, even though a lot of uh, players that went in the first round still, you know, did their watch party at home with family and friends. You had a few there, which was cool to see, uh, but it'll never really be the event that it is in the NFL or the NBA. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, it's just not going to reach that level because, frankly, a lot of these players are kind of unknown. Although I will say, I think college baseball is gaining popularity, and I think you can probably speak to that more, but it feels like, you know, with the games being broadcast on ESPN and their satellite networks, among others, it does feel like people are a little bit more aware, maybe a little bit more invested. But frankly, that kind of just exists for the SEC. I don't know if people are getting into, you know, yeah, <laughs> the Big Ten baseball or whatever. I think it's mostly an SEC, maybe an ACC thing. So still, you know, maybe an increased level of awareness versus 15, 20 years ago, but not on the college football or college basketball levels by any means. Yeah, I, I agree. And maybe players get more personable with, you know, the rise of social media and TikTok. And, yeah. you know, you can see players like Drew Jones and what they were going through in their everyday lives as they were preparing for the draft. That That's pretty cool. And I think I think we've seen that in recent years to make these these players at least uh, raise their Q score a little bit. Right. Raise their voice, if you will. Oh, there you go. There you go. I like that. Yeah. Uh, well, 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 let's jump into it. You know, we're, we're, there's a lot of trades that went down. We're going to talk about the Rays acquisitions. We're going to talk about some of the other deals in the American League East. But I can't start a trade deadline podcast or a post-trade deadline podcast without talking about Juan Soto. who uh, Him along with Josh Bell, I don't think many people expected those two to be included in the same trade, were sent to the San Diego Padres in exchange for a number of prospects. And for a time, Eric Hosmer. Uh, although that kind of fell through. Um, a lot of people, and I, I really don't know what your thoughts on this were, RJ, just didn't believe 
this deal could happen. Juan Soto, 23 years old, two and a half years of control, still yet to enter his prime, I guess is, is safe to say, but already a top five, maybe top three hitter in all of baseball. When did you believe this trade could happen before it, it actually happened? Yeah, it was probably about 10 days before the deadline. You know, when they first said they would listen to offers, I agree that it felt too complicated to go down before the deadline. But then he started having some smoke you know, bore out from various places. And it's like, okay, you know, maybe there's going to be something to it. And then you get, you know, within those last 10 days, maybe the last, you know, five to seven days, it was like, okay, this is probably going to happen. And, you know, you can maybe blame that on the Nationals ownership situation because they're expected to be sold this offseason. And I would presume that the incoming owners don't want their first big move to be trading a 23-year-old on a Hall of Fame track with multiple years of team control remaining. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but, you know, the Nationals have gotten very good at saying goodbye in recent years. And add Juan Soto to that list. It still feels surreal to me because, you know, I would never have thought they would have traded him for his 24th birthday, but here we are. That's the reality we live in now. It's a weird one. I, I saw on this podcast, I had Darby Robinson on, and I had said that if there's a GM out there that, that is crazy enough to, to pull this off, that it, <laughs> it would be A.J. Preller, and, you know, that, that ended up happening. But the other players in this, the Dodgers, the Cardinals – the Cardinals looked like they were willing to at least, you know, have those serious conversations that would have involved, you know, the Mason wins, the Dylan Carlson's and a, and a number of other prospects. Right. The Dodgers though, that, that just wouldn't have seemed fair. If, if Juan Soto <laughs> ended up with the Dodgers, were they real players in this or were they just kind of maybe price checking up for San Diego here? Yeah. I haven't heard their offer yet, so I'm not quite sure how I would categorize them. I do believe, Based on my intel, they're one of the last three teams involved, along with obviously the Cardinals and the Padres. But yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I do wonder how much of their value to the Nationals would have been absorbing one of those bad contracts. You know, everyone, including myself, highlighted Patrick Morbin, and you know, the executive as I talked to did expect him to be involved in this trade as a way of balancing it. Uh, but I wonder if they would even offer to take back Steven Strasburg's contract because. You know, if you have a chance to get Juan Soto and you don't have to give up, you know, Gavin Lux or whatever, and maybe they would have had to give him up anyway. I don't know. But if you have that chance, you know, what's money to the Los Angeles Dodgers? Not really something you're worried about. So I don't know. I would have been very interested. Hopefully he comes out one of these days to see what their final offer was, because I don't think they were just in it to drive up the price in San Diego. I do think it was legitimate interest, but I can't tell you if it was even comparable or their last offer, excuse me, was comparable to what the Padres ended up giving up. Man, I'm I'm glad they didn't get Patrick Corbin. I'm talking about the Dodgers here. I mean, that just feels like they would have turned him into like a nasty two inning reliever, and you know, right. got at least some value out of him in the last few years of this deal because you know it's it's still going rough. Was pulled in the first inning of his start last night for Washington. It doesn't doesn't feel like that deal is going to get any better. And you almost wonder like at what point do they just gotta? It's a sunk cost, right? At what point do they just have to cut bait? He actually has a lot of value to the Nationals, though, if they want to tank, right? Then, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, they're not worried about his development. They're not worried about his long-term confidence. All they're worried about is improve our draft lottery odds, and then we will send you on down the river. So let's talk a little bit about the return. Uh, obviously, you, you know, the maybe the biggest prospect, I have to assume the biggest prospect hall in the history of the game. And yes, there's no way for the Nationals to win this trade, right? Because they lost. Juan Soto, 
But did they do as best they could with this return they got from San Diego? Yeah, I think they they received a number of players who could become solid or good players. And again, without knowing the Cardinals' offer specifics or without knowing the Dodgers' offer specifics, you know, it's hard to say they absolutely did the best they could. You know, it's possible that for whatever reason they, you know, honed in on players that they really liked who maybe you or I would disagree here better than say Jordan Walker or Mason Wynn or, you know, whatever combination of players were offered elsewhere. But, you know, they did get a handful of youngsters back who, again, have a chance to be at least solid. Now the problem is each of them come with you know, somewhat, de- you know, somewhat decent error bars because of certain flaws in their game. And it'll be interesting to see if this development staff can get the most out of them because, you know, if you look at their track record, they haven't exactly hit on a lot of prospects dating back to Soto. You know, Victor Robles is disappointed. Carter Kaboom is disappointed. You know, some of their first-round picks have had injury issues, and it's hard to hold that against them. But, you know, that's just kind of the work and wolf of, you know, Major League Baseball and professional baseball. So, I don't know. I, I guess using what we know, I guess it's fair to say, yeah, they probably got a decent haul of talent back. But it's so hard, like you said, to get even close to what Juan Soto gives you. Yeah, but I almost wonder. It's like they offered him $440 million. And I understand the, the AAV on that deal would have had him around. I think, you know, with the, the length of it would have been like, yeah. So it wasn't, you know, a super lucrative deal in terms of AAV, but it's not like they just didn't try to re sign him. Is he ever going to be as valuable as he is with two and a half years of control trading him to a contending team? Yeah, you probably have more suitors if you wait till the offseason when everybody thinks they have a chance going into the next year. But given like they tried to re-sign him, I don't know what else the Nationals could really have done here. Yeah, offered him more money. But <laughs> I, no, yeah, to your but... point, though, to your point, though, yeah, their leverage is probably going to continue to dwindle uh, up until you know, that ownership change. And then after that, I don't know. The thing is, I don't think the next owners wanted to come in and have their first move be trading him, but I also would assume the next owners didn't want to come in and have half a billion dollars guaranteed to a single player, you know, especially with how most of these owners have to leverage themselves up to their eyeballs in order to even buy the franchise nowadays. So I do agree. They're kind of in a tough spot where they probably need to make a decision, and this is the decision they made. And again, you know, they got a handful of youngsters who have potential. It's just a matter of can they, you know, work with them and develop out some of the uh, issues with their games, you know, reduce that risk and raise the floor. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch because, you know, again, they did get some solid players and who knows, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on some of these players. Maybe they're better than I realize, And maybe that development staff is better than I think. And maybe they come out looking pretty good in a few years. Mackenzie Gore is the interesting one here. One of the, was one of the top pitching prospects in baseball a couple of years ago. A lot of people were shocked when, the, he wasn't a part of the Blake Snell trade when the Padres went out and acquired Blake Snell and what at the time was considered a big blockbuster. But now that's just, you know, that's just a normal trade. That's just Tuesday, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> compared to this Juan Soto deal. But he does go over here. There, you know, maybe there's some questions about his, his health, as there is with any pitcher. Like Mackenzie Gore, what are your thoughts on him as a, as a player, given his major league track record thus far and given his injury status? Yeah, I mean... It's never good when you're trading for a pitcher who already has a sore elbow and who, you know, lost velocity as the year went on. If you look at his, you know, his, his velocity chart, you can tell exactly when that elbow started to bark. At least I would guess that's when it started to bark because it dropped. Um, he is an interesting pitcher. You know, he's battled 
supposedly with the yips in the past, and he overcame that to his credit. You know, he has a good fastball curveball combination. He has a couple of other secondary pitches that are, you know, passable to good, depending on the day. In theory, he has a chance to become a mid-rotation starter, maybe a little bit more. But he also has you know, that downside because you don't know about his injury. You don't know about whether he's going to be able to maintain the strike throwing ability or improve upon that. So I think mid-rotation starter is like the safest projection for him. But maybe he does become a number two or maybe he washes out and ends up in the bullpen. Uh, there's just a lot, a lot of risk there. And I think even more risk than usual with your usual starting pitching prospect. You want to still call him the prospect, I mean. And, and is there any out of, out of Hassel, Abrams, and Wood, is there a player that you think has the highest chance to really at least give the Nationals something to remember Juan Soto by? That's a good question. You know, I would have said Abrams beforehand, but I had some evaluators seeing him over the offseason for his swing, de- swing decisions, excuse me, and for his quality of contact. And if you look at his big league stint earlier this year, what were the two biggest issues? swing decisions and quality of contact. He had like a 40% chase rate and his average exit velocity was in like the low to mid eighties, which is just not where you want to be. Now, you know, in Abrams defense, he is young and he didn't have a lot of repetitions above a ball entering the season. And they kind of rushed into the majors and look, that's a tough situation. Obviously with Fernando Tatis Jr. out, they were just doing what they could to try to remain highly competitive. I get it. But I, I do wonder if the nationals are going to be able to work with them those aspects so there's a little bit more doubt there for me than existed you know this time last year with him uh with Hassel you know I started doing our draft coverage in 2020 so I'm very familiar with Hassel because I remember hearing the Padres love this kid they think he might be the best hitter in the class and being like huh you know that's that's kind of a bold statement when you have Spencer Torkelson you have Austin Martin you have some of the other players uh, who are available in that class also on the board so you know the questions with him are Will he hit for power and will he stick in center field? And if the answers are no, probably looking at a second division corner outfielder, which is fine, but eh, you know, that's not quite what you want out of a package like this. And then with Wood, just to run him down as well, you know, six foot seven, huge power, runs better than you'd expect, actually playing center field still. There were questions about him coming out of IMG Academy with regards to his hit tool. You know, he had a lot of swing and miss, he struck out a lot. His credit, you know, it's under 20% this year. That can hold. You know, he has a chance to be a middle of the order hitter. So, I guess if we're just trying to rank these, uh, they're like probably, probably, excuse me, if they're a probability of becoming a decent big league player, you'd probably still go with Abrams number one because he's already established at a high level. You know, he's going to stick up the middle. You know, he has the speed to fall back on. So, you know, probably him number one. But if I'm ranking Hassel or Gore, or, excuse me, Hassel or Wood, that's a that's a tough one because Hassel probably has the higher floor. You know, he has a really good hit tool. Wood probably has a little bit more upside for me because, you know, Hassel hasn't really shown that power. It's possible he just doesn't tap into it. It's possible he moves to a corner and that's kind of a worst case scenario. So I don't know. I guess I would go Abrams, Wood, Hassel, but I'm, I'll probably flip-flop on those last two over the course of the next, you know, couple of years until they reach the majors and prove it once and for all. It will be interesting. There was also a couple other players involved. Luke Voigt, who I think is the biggest loser of this trade, uh, was included <laughs> after Hosmer um, you know, said no to the trade. He, the, the Nationals were on his no-trade list. Uh, that was kind of a fun hour or so on Twitter, seeing all the, the memes and the jokes get put out, like that, the, that Eric Hosmer could just absolutely – you know, derail this trade. It didn't happen. He ends right. up going to Boston. Um, 
but uh, Harleen Susana, I don't know if I'm, I'm pronouncing that exactly uh, right, but this is like an interesting piece in this deal too, and I think yeah. a player that could join in terms of what they provide at the big league level, the list of Hassel, Abrams, and Wood, and Gore. Yeah, and I think it was fun for everyone, but Luke Hoyt on Twitter, like once he saw that he was going instead of Osmer, he probably got a little frustrated there, at least I would have. But yeah, Susanna, um, it's interesting because I think to put him in draft terms, and to be clear, if you're not familiar with him, he's a big right-hander, 18 years old, pitching in complex league. You know, he shows a promising fastball, breaking ball combination. If you really want to dream on him, you can think maybe he's a potential front or the rotation starter. Now, problem with that, and what I was just saying about if he was in the shooter's draft, is that, you know, that probably would have been selected somewhere in the teens, you know, probably in that 10 to 15 range, because teams usually don't take right-handed prep pitchers early anymore. There are exceptions, but they usually don't because of the risk profile. And I think that, you know, that applies to Susanna. I mean, again, he's an 18-year-old in complex league. You know, whatever he's done so far, he has a long way to go in terms of developing his repertoire and his command, but also just in terms of the attrition risk that faces pitchers, right? You know, we talked about Ogbor, talk about it here. You know, there's no guarantee he's going to stay healthy and there's no guarantee that, you know, he's going to develop as intended. So I think there's a lot of risk and a lot of reward there. And It'll be interesting to see, again, what the Nationals can do with them because they've taken a lot of premium prep arms in recent years, uh, whether it's Rutledge or Dinneberg or, you know, whomever else you want to throw in there, and they really haven't gotten a ton out of it. So we'll see if he ends up being, you know, the exception and you know, maybe he can uh, get them on the right track so far as their pitching development goes. Let's move over to the American League East. Uh, the Yankees... They acquired Frankie Montas, which I think that that seemed like just a perfect fit. Once they didn't get Luis Castillo, they go down to the next guy, Frankie Montas, who has been great with Oakland. Uh, But then shortly before the deadline on Tuesday, they send left-handed starter Jordan Montgomery to the St. Louis Cardinals, another contending team, for glove-first outfielder, center fielder Harrison Bader, now, the Yankees, up until 4 o'clock, were looking to potentially add another starter in Pablo Lopez. I know those discussions really probably went down to, to the last possible minute. Uh, but then they turn around and trade a starter before acquiring a new one. So, RJ, make make this one make sense to me from, from a Yankees perspective. Yeah, and <laughs> that's a hard one to do because this is one of those trades where I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. Was right, you know, the sequence of events would almost lead you to believe that they thought they had another deal lined up and they just ran out of time. I don't know if that's actually the case. I suspect they're never going to admit it one way or the other, but you know, that would probably be the most likely explanation because otherwise, I don't really know. You can kind of try to torture some logic out of it. Like, I don't think it's ridiculous to acquire Harrison Bader looking at their outfield situation. You know, you have some players like Aaron Hicks and uh, John Carlos Dan, who were somewhat injury prone. You have, you know, Andrew Penitendi, who was having a good season, but you know, his style of hitting nowadays, very ground ball dependent, very singles and walks dependent. It makes sense to probably have a backup plan there. It makes sense to probably have a backup plan in center field in case Aaron Judge gets hurt or, again, Hicks gets hurt or what have you. So I can kind of walk myself through and understand why they would want Bader. And again, he is a really good defensive center fielder. But then I'm like, Here's the thing about Bader. He's in a walking boot right now, and he may not be back until September. He may not be back at all for all we know. Like, who knows how the healing process is going to go? And I look at the rotation. I'm like, I don't know. Would you really want Domingo Herman 
being one injury away from being in your playoff rotation, that's kind of, that's iffy for me. So yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really think I have a ability to spend this one into a logical move. That was probably the most questionable deal at the deadline, at least, you know, right at the deadline. I think there were some other trades that maybe raised my eyebrows and some non-trades that raised eyebrows. But that one for me, I'm still trying to figure out what exactly they were thinking, what exactly they were seeing there. I mean, yeah, Montgomery in a, in a four-man postseason rotation probably would be the odd man out there. You've got yeah. Derek Cole, Nestor Cortez, now Frankie Montas, and um, Jamison Tyon. But you you still want, like you said, one injury away from Domingo Herman sliding in. After that, what is it, like Clark Schmidt or David yeah. Garcia in AAA? Probably a bullpen game, to be honest with you, at that point. Which a bullpen game where maybe you'd love to have a Jordan Montgomery be able to eat up. Yeah. A lot of those innings. So, yeah, um, yeah Harrison Bader, like, I think that's a great move. It allows you to to pull, you know, move Aaron Judge to to a corner where he's probably better suited, even though he's held his own out in the center field and he's probably on his way to an American League MVP. Maybe Shohei Otani has another late surge and wins it for a second straight year. Um, but you maybe put Judge in a more comfortable spot. You continue to improve defense, which for me is probably – one of the biggest ways the Yankees improved this offseason, they moved on from Gary Sanchez. They were able to move Glaber Torres off of shortstop, and now they can add a guy, a potential gold glover. Or I don't know if he's won one in his career, but that level of play in center field in Harrison Vader, that part makes a lot of sense. But yeah, Absolutely. like you said, moving on from Montgomery so late, it just feels a little either short-sighted or there was some sort of flub in there at some point. Yeah, and you got to give the Cardinals credit because I think Montgomery fits them like a glove, right? You know, a, a lefty who throws strikes, gets ground balls. I mean, he's going to probably flourish there under that system. I guess they have one of the best infield defenses in the majors. They have obviously Yadier Molina, who has a great reputation once he gets back in the fold. So I really like that for the Cardinals. And also, you know, they have Dylan Carlson, who didn't trade Juan Soto and who has seemingly taken some steps forward in center field himself. So I really like that for St. Louis. I just kind of don't get it yet for the Yankees. And Knowing how things go, Harrison Bader's going to end up having the postseason of his life. He's going to go full Carlos Beltran, and we're all going to be like, ah, oh, yeah, I was a fan of that move, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Cardinals, though, just touching on them real quickly, adding Jose Quintana and then adding Jordan Montgomery. It feels like they really accomplished their goals going into the deadline, solidified their roster for, for a postseason push of their own. So I, I like what they did. Yeah. All right, going over to Toronto, the Blue Jays were busy as well. They traded Jordan Groshans, who, top 100 prospect, a, a guy whose name maybe a year ago, maybe last offseason, you would have expected to be in trades that were much bigger than this one. Uh, they sent him down to Miami in exchange. They had Anthony Bass and Zach Pop. Is Groshans, has his prospect, like, is his value just dropped a lot as a prospect? Or do you think the Blue Jays just did a good job of, you know, bolstering their bullpen and they had to, you know, pay up for it a little bit? I think it's mostly the former. You know, unfortunately, he's had a lot of trouble staying on the field throughout his professional career. And he also just hasn't performed very well. I mean, this is his first run at AAA and he had an ISO below 0.5. Point zero five, excuse me. And that's just not going to get it done. I mean, it doesn't matter where you play. It doesn't matter how good your defense is. If you're slugging under 300 and chip away, that really does raise some concern about your viability as a big league hitter. So I think it's fair to say his stock had really slipped. I think this is probably a fine way of taking the off ramp here 
for Blue Jays because I really like Anthony Bass. Uh, I was dumb enough to include him in the top 50 free agent rankings a few years ago, which is just a pathetic thing to say out loud. And, you know, hearing it myself, I'm like, gosh, that was stupid. But, you know, he's a good reliever. And I like Zach Pop too. He gives you some team control. And, you know, I think that's, I think it's a fine deal. It's possible that the Marlins unlock something of Groshans. And maybe this looks really silly in a few years for the Blue Jays. But I don't, I don't know. I think when you're like, you know, almost 300 plate appearances into a season and your ISO and your power output are that low, I don't know. I think that might be a bad sign for you. I think that might suggest you might be fatally flawed in some way. But again, I'm open to the idea maybe the Marlins see something with his swing and can unlock something. I just think that it's probably fine deal for the Blue Jays right now and heading forward. If there was a trade that was more shocking than that of the, the Juan Soto deal, uh, maybe it was the Toronto Blue Jays acquiring Whit Merrifield, who <laughs> was notably not on the Kansas City Royals road trip to Toronto earlier this season uh, for not being vaccinated. Now, the question when, when the Blue Jays acquired him was, was he still planning on getting vaccinated? It has come out that um, he, he, he did get the vaccine. He will be able to play home games in Toronto. Um, this has kind of been a big topic at the deadline, especially for American League teams. You look at the Yankees acquiring Andrew Brennan Tendy. That could be a potential postseason series, the way the standings are lining up right now. Uh, so with Merrifield, with George Springer going on the IL, just seems like another pretty simple way for the Blue Jays to kind of bolster things on the position player side. Yeah, and I'll just note that teams don't actually have like an official database of who is vaxxed and who isn't vaxxed. Like you have to depend on word of mouth. So it's kind of crazy to think that there are probably some trades made involving, you know, non-vax players that we're not even aware of yet because they didn't have to make the trip to Toronto or what have you just yet. So it's it's wild to me that there's not like an official database within MLB that seems to just reference. But yeah, uh, getting Merrifield was a surprise. Like you said, didn't think he'd be traded at all, let alone to Toronto. Um, it's fine. Like, I don't think he's the player he used to be. I think that the Royals kind of missed their moment to trade him to get a really, really solid haul. And that's one of those things that I've come to really appreciate is that, you know, the old branch Ricky saying that you'd rather be a year earlier than a year late. I think there's a lot of truth to that when you're a rebuilding team and you're talking about moving your veterans. And I think they really missed their window there. I think the Tigers have missed their window a few times. I think the Rockies, this would also apply to them. And you just kind of wonder, you know, if these teams had made those trades when they did, or excuse me, made those trades at peak value, would they have gotten hauls back that would have them in a better place now? And, uh, if GMing is a complicated job, as we learned, but yeah, I think it was a fine trade. Like, I don't know that Merrifield is going to be a difference maker for them, but it's always nice to get some doubt, especially as you said, with Springer out for the foreseeable future. And, and, and the team that was, you know, in last place in the American League East, nobody really expected them to be contending. You look now, they're a game out of the wild card spot after winning last night and the, and the Rays losing in Detroit. That's the Baltimore Orioles. And they traded Trey Mancini, and I think that was expected. Uh, he is, again, a player that is, for, for a number of different reasons, age and health, he isn't the same player that he was, but he still has some value. He goes to Houston, where he's already hit like three or four home runs, especially with uh, <laughs> the Crawford boxes out in left field, a lot better than whatever Baltimore did with their left field wall. Uh, but the deal that caught me off guard, and I think Orioles fans have every right to be upset with this, was trading all-star closer Jorge Lopez to Minnesota, who's putting together uh, a, a really solid bullpen, in my opinion. 
my personal thoughts, though, were that, okay, the Orioles, I think at the time, were like still two and a half games out of the wild card. They're competing with a number of different teams. Is Jorge Lopez really that difference maker for them to get to the postseason? Now, if you make it and you don't have him, yeah, that sucks. But if you can get a, a good haul for him, I don't think it's going to be the difference whether or not you make it or don't make it to October. But did this one catch you off guard? And do you think the Orioles made a good move here? Yeah, a little off guard because the murmurs were they were not going to move him unless they got a really big return. And I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't know the complex league pitches at all. That's I told someone, you know, <laughs> I'm seeing people fight about this trade in favor of the Orioles on my timeline. And I'm like, guys, this trade involved four players going back to Baltimore. 75% of them are either in the complex league or 28-year-old relievers who are rookies. Like, let's tone it down a little bit. Like, let's save this for, you know, <laughs> uh, a little bit better, I would guess, I would say a trade with a little bit better information, you know. Uh, so I can't tell you, to be honest with you, if they got a good return or not. I haven't talked to anyone who's seen them yet. I don't know. Um, Lopez is interesting. I agree with you on that point because, you know, he used to be a pretty solid starting pitching prospect. Just never worked. Washed out of a few places. This year he popped up with two extra miles per hour on a sinker and he's throwing it more. And, you know, the results kind of speak for themselves. And I know people were also referencing his July numbers, but I found this amusing. You know, he made 12 appearances in July. He had two really bad performances, and those were the first two of the month for him. You want to guess which team those two came against? Probably the Yankees. The Twins. Oh, the Twins. Okay, okay. So <laughs> I said, hey, if they have a secret formula on him, if they noticed him tipping his pitches or whatever, I guess he went to the exact perfect place to, you know, remain dominant the rest of the year. But, yeah, I, I go back and forth on this one because, frankly, I don't really get how the Orioles are where they are. I know their bullpen has been really good, and I do like some of their players. You know, love Adley Rushman as a player. I think he's a superstar in the making, so on and so forth. But when I look at that roster, I'm still like, really? This is a this is a contender now? Like, it doesn't really always fire for me. So I kind of get what the front office is thinking, just being like, yeah, we're not going to make a postseason with this roster. Like, our year might be next year, might be two years down the road. But this this isn't a good enough team to make it. At the same time, you know, when you put your fan base through that, you know, intentionally losing year after year after year and, you know, you're trading away fan favorites like Trey Mancini, you're favoring, trading away Jorge Lopez, who's been a really nice story. And, who, you know, again, we'll see what the return looks like exactly. But, yeah, it kind of is a kick in the stomach, I feel like. And I don't know. I don't know exactly where I fall on that just yet. I can see the argument both ways. Realistically, did it, you know, does it prevent them from making the playoffs? Probably not. But also, it's nice to do things that energize your fan base, to make your fan base feel good. And I don't know. They don't seem like a front office that really cares for that second point. I'll say that much. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Their bullpen, I think, before the trade was, you know, not as good as the Yankees and the Rays at, at full health. Uh, but they were, like, one of those really interesting. But I noticed that from, like, the opening series this weekend. Guys like Felix Bautista, who's going to slide into that that closer role where he's going to get you know, all, all those those ninth inning opportunities are a lot more of those high leverage opportunities. But guys like Dylan Tate and CNL Perez, even Joey Crebiel, who now reunites with with his, with his uh, <laughs> former high school teammate Brett Phillips, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's an interesting bullpen. I think a lot of interesting names, and yeah. But you lose Jorge Lopez, that definitely hurts. And if they do sneak yeah. into the postseason, they're only one game out uh, as of the time of recording. And if they do sneak in, they're probably going to be wishing they had him and. It just feels like there's going to be a situation where they need one more reliever to, to win a postseason <laughs> game, and we'll all look back at the at the Jorge Lopez trade. 
you know, that'll be the inverse of the Bader trade. We'll say, ah, see, I knew they shouldn't have made that trade. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, take a look at some of the moves that the Rays made, right? This is a Rays podcast. So I might as well start talking about the, the trades they made before the August 2nd deadline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. We went through the American League East, talked about some of the notable moves that went down before the trade deadline. We talked about Juan Soto, but now I want to bring it back home Talk about the Tampa Bay Rays and the couple of major league moves that they made. There were a couple uh, relievers that they acquired that are in AAA, but wanted to focus on the big league moves. Uh, the first was acquiring left-handed hitting outfielder David Peralta from Arizona. They gave up Christian Serda, a you know teenage complex league catcher who was having a good start to his professional career, but uh, wasn't anywhere near a Rays top 30 list yet. Um, so pretty light return, as is expected for a rental, but... RJ, what are your thoughts on, on David Peralta and playing out the last half year of this this contract in Tampa Bay? Yeah, I liked him. You know, I thought he's – I mean, I think his track record as a platoon outfielder speaks for itself. He is having an interesting season because he's pulling and lifting the ball more often, and it's resulted in, you know, his most power output in like five or so years or whatever. So I thought he was a nifty addition. As you said, they gave up a complex league hitter who, you know, he – hitting the ball hard he's hitting the ball well but he's also a complex league hitter and i think you have to take that with a grain of salt you know they probably see something that suggests he's not going to stick behind the plate or whatever and you know that's fine um that was a likable enough deal solid deal and i was kind of surprised that arizona didn't get something better for peralta because again i think he's you know an above average capable above average bat and again with a power influx uh yeah who knows maybe he goes on a little bit of a tear and gets over that 20 homer mark and it just does help to have a Rays. You know, the Rays have had a struggling offense this year, especially after the first, you know, April and May, where, they, where they're still hitting pretty well. Uh, but you lose guys like Wander Franco and Brandon Lau to injury. You got a lot of rookies and a lot of guys that just have no big league track record of hitting in that lineup that were playing every day. Like they weren't playing platoon roles. They weren't, you know, playing on the getaway day. Like these guys were every day becoming everyday players for the Rays. We're talking about the Luke Rayleys, the Yu Changs, right. uh, the Roman Quins. So just to add a veteran into the lineup that is going to play, he's got an off day today, but it is going to play every day in a corner outfield spot or as a DH, just kind of like made the lineup look a lot better. When you saw it posted, you know, the day of a game, you're like, okay, you've got a David Peralta <laughs> that's going to hit fifth or sixth. We're not worrying about Luke Rayleigh hitting third and playing in right field. <laughs> yeah, I mean, injuries and other developments have left them with a bench that on most days does not look uh, particularly, let's say, inspiring. You know, I know they picked up Christian Battencourt, but I don't know. It, it's it's a rough situation for them. You know, there's a lot of players who probably shouldn't be relied upon as a contender. And I get how they got here, but I do agree that adding a Peralta is sort of like a stabilizing force, right? And he does extend the lineup and makes it a little bit easier to stomach, you know, some of those uh, those players who are on the bench right now. Yeah. The, the other one, a guy with a lot more team control, and I think this is definitely the more interesting of the two trades, 
I was yeah. acquiring Jose Siri from the Houston Astros in a deal that sent Seth Johnson and Jaden Murray back the other way, also to make the roster space for Jose Siri. The Rays designated Brett Phillips for assignment, <laughs> so fan favorite, World Series hero. Uh, you know, Brett Phillips, that was a tough one for the fan base, but Jose Siri, great defensive outfielder, tons of team control. This one feels like a very Rays-like trade. Yeah, he's pretty interesting. You know, he's been on prospect radars for probably almost a decade now. And, you know, he's very tooled up. I think you've already seen that. You know, he's really capable of going and getting it in center field. Uh, the thing is, I think there's a real chance that he's just Brett Phillips 2.0 because I don't know how much he's going to hit. You know, he's got power. Uh, that said, he's got a pretty questionable approach. He's a pretty good candidate to have the worst strikeout the walk ratio on whatever team he's on. They might see some fixes they can make with his swing or his approach or what have you, and who am I to question the track record of that? But yeah, he's uh, he's probably going to be really reliant on his glove for the time being, and we'll see if they can get some of that upside, uh, you know, materialized. Uh, obviously, <laughs> it, it is kind of funny to me that yeah, Brett Phillips is the one who lost his spot here because again, Siri kind of has the same mold, you know, where it's glove first and whatever offense you get, you take it, but uh. We'll see if it ends up being an upgrade. I, I would assume internally they must have him as a better defender than Phillips. And maybe they wanted, you know, another right-hander or what have you instead of another lefty. Because otherwise, you know, like I said, it is kind of funny that they have a little bit more in common that you might expect. It felt like there was another move coming because, again, another one of those bench players, Roman Quinn, switch hitting, glove first, you know, has good speed, outfielder that is still on the roster while Brett Phillips was, you know, you maybe you would expect Quinn to be, DFA'd before a Phillips, especially given, yeah. you know, Phillips being the, the hometown hero, um, a fan favorite, not only for the Rays, but around baseball. He, he did find another big league home, was traded to Baltimore for cash considerations. And I think that's a good addition for them, just kind of as a, as a fourth or fifth outfielder, which really is what Brett Phillips is. Like, in my opinion, he is a, a comically bad hitter. I know he lucked into like a 113 WRC plus last year, hit a few home runs, had like an inside the Parker. Um, that really bumped up his offensive numbers. But he still has value on a big league roster, you know, being one of, if not the best defensive outfielders in the game. He can steal some bases for you. So, like, I knew he was going to end up on a roster somewhere. Um, but the Rays are still rostering Roman Quinn. So could you not have yeah. kept him a little bit longer? I don't know. It felt like there was another move coming that didn't come. Um, they still got Josh Lowe in AAA. Right. And they acquire Jose Siri. They get rid of, you know, of, of Brett Phillips. But again, Luke Rayleigh and Roman Quinn still on the big league roster. Yeah, Yu Chang as well. And uh, yeah. you could probably talk yourself into a, a move where maybe you shed down. But yeah, I don't know. It, it is interesting. It felt like a very, I, I, I'll put it this way. I don't know if I just noticed it more or if it was more prevalent, but it felt like there were a lot of trades made where you had to say, well, it's a business, you know, because you have the Phillips one, you have, the Orioles dealings we just talked about. You have Christian Vasquez getting traded as he's on the field for the Red Sox and having to switch clubhouses. You have uh, the Josh Hader trade. You have a few other deals, I want to say, where it's really like, gosh, they, uh, they're just pretty cold, pretty calculating. You know, it's just making a move, even though he's a fan favorite, even though he's a clubhouse favorite, or even though, you know, they're in the thick of the playoff race or what have you. It just feels like a, <laughs> feels like all those, uh, mechanisms and that philosophy shift that we've talked about over the years really took root this deadline and again i don't know maybe it's just me noticing it more often but it really did feel like a more cold deadline in that respect than usual 
I kind of want to see what, you know, take your temperature on the Rays situation right now. Um, they're currently 57 and 50, which I think is pretty disappointing given the standards they set the last two seasons and, and kind of what the expectations were coming into this season. But you look, they've got, I don't know, 17 guys on the injured list. Pitching coach Kyle <laughs> Snyder hurt his calf walking out for a mound visit last <laughs> night. Like everybody is getting hurt on the Rays. So given the injuries and given the moves they made, I don't know. How should Rays fans be, be feeling about this team right now? I think the injury aspects means that they should feel pretty good. I mean, it feels like everything that could have gone wrong injury-wise has gone wrong. You've been without you know, several of your best hitters for large swaps of the season. And, you know, I, from my perspective, I think it's fine. You know, it's, it's a solid year. It's probably a disappointing year because, again, you know, they're not necessarily where they want to be, which is competing for the American League East title. But I don't know. I, I tend to give them kind of a pass for the season, and I think they're still going to make the playoffs, barring even more injuries or even more unexpected developments. And I think once they get to the postseason, if they can heal up a little bit more, they have a chance to be really interesting. And you know, it'll be interesting to see if Tyler Glass now can play a role down the stretch, maybe even in, just as in a relief role. You know, imagine him coming out of the bullpen in October. You know, that kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. So I, I guess I'm just saying I'm more inclined to give them you know, some leeway here because of the absurd amount of injuries and who those injuries were to. And, you know, not only is it easier to get a wild card spot, there's an extra spot in each league. It's also a little, it, it, you have a higher chance of, of going deep into the postseason, given that it's not just a one-off game against the other wild card winner. Right. You're getting a three-game series. And while there's still going to be tons of variance, I'm not going to say that whoever wins a three-game wild card series is definitively a better team than the one they beat. But I think you saw this kind of league-wide, like the the landscape has changed. If you're in a wild card hunt, you can see a path where, okay, we win that first series, and then we could go on a pennant run. We can go on a World Series run. Do you right. think that changed the way teams operated the, this uh, trade deadline? I think it may have. I think it may have because I look at that Luis Castillo trade, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's a team that really feels confident that, you know, they can run Castillo and they can run Robbie Ray, the reigning American League Cy Young Award winner, and they can run uh, Gilbert out there in a three-game series and advance and you know, take their chances from there. And I think, you know, there's some of that dynamic with the Rays, right? You can run McClanahan out there. You can run Rasmussen. Uh, Kluber would probably get the ever spot. You know, it's easy to see them stifling an offense for two or three games, right? You know, you can kind of talk yourself into it. And uh, I, I do think that probably gave teams a little bit more hope and a little bit more ambition to actually try for a wild card spot and take their chances from there. I, I kind of understood when teams were more conservative because of the single game aspect, because we know anything can happen in a single game. You know, on any given night, any team can lose. It doesn't matter how good you are. Over the course of a series, you know, it's a little, it's a little different. So yeah, I, I think that definitely changed the behavior. I think it improved the behavior. And I like that there's even incentive to be the superior team within the wild card setting because you get to host potentially three games instead of just the one. Yeah, definitely. We're going to take one more quick break. And on the other side, RJ is going to raise his voice about a trade he really loved at the deadline and a trade that maybe didn't make a whole lot of sense that he wasn't as big of a fan of. We're back on Raise Your Voice. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. RJ, uh, you, you've been on the podcast before, but I don't really remember. I don't remember if it was a Raise Your Voice or if it was just a, a D-Raise Bay podcast special, but I want to give you the chance to, to come on and actually raise your voice a little bit. We've talked about some of the big trades. We went in division and looked at the moves the Rays made, uh, but there were a bunch of moves that we we haven't really touched on yet. I want to start off with what was a trade that you loved? Maybe it was the return. Maybe it was a a, a good player going to a contender that's really going to help them in a postseason push. What what was a trade that you thought maybe worked out for both sides or you really loved for, for one side? Yeah, I loved the Luis Castillo trade for both sides. You know, I told someone this is the kind of trade you get to make when you haven't made the playoffs in 20 years because they gave up a haul to get Castillo and he was the best pitcher on the market. You know, he's someone who I just mentioned, you know, you put him with Ray, you put him with uh, Gilbert, Kirby, if you have a four-game series plus. I mean, that's a really formidable rotation and I think that gives them a chance to be not just, you know, in the wild card spot, but I could see them advancing for sure. You know, it's just what I talked about with the Rays. You know, you throw out those three starting pitchers, they might stymie the opposition and you might advance even if you don't necessarily have the better team. But I also liked it for Cleveland, excuse me, Cincinnati, because of the prospect hall. I mean, they've got two guys there in Marte and Arroyo who are really young for their league yet are performing. They're left side defenders. Uh, Arroyo is a surefire shortstop. You know, he was one of the best shortstop defenders in this draft class. Uh, Marseille, he might have to move to third base, but I just look at his offensive game and I see well above average raw power. I see walks. I see a guy who doesn't really strike out much despite being three years younger than his average competition level. And I say, you know, there's a really good chance the Reds have five shortstop prospects on top 100 list next year. And that's kind of absurd. I can't think of the last time I've seen that much shortstop talent. And you can make the case, maybe it'll be six. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. But, yeah, they, I mean, they really loaded up on shortstops. And, uh, you know, kudos to both of those teams. The Mariners for being aggressive, making the most of the situation, rewarding their fan base, which, again, cannot say it enough, should be a goal. You know, you want your fans to go crazy. You want your fans engaged so you can make more money. And then the Reds for actually doing the rebuild correctly and making up for some of those sins they committed over the offseason when they were just dumping talent for nothing. Uh, yeah, I think both fan bases can neither can really be too upset about this deal. Obviously, it sucks to lose a guy like Luis Castillo, a very good starting pitcher. But look at where the Reds are at. They they got a return that I think probably you know has the potential to exceed the value that Luis Castillo had left for them um, down the line. Obviously, with prospects, you never know what's going to happen. And then the Mariners yeah. in a wild card race, adding a Luis Castillo is is going to really help. And like you said that. That fan base, it's been over 20 years now um, since they reached the postseason. It looks like they're in a good place. And, like, what an exciting team Seattle have been this year. That starts with Julio Rodriguez, I mean, who, who's on oh, the yeah. IL right now, uh, has, a, has a wrist contusion. Doesn't sound like it's going to be too serious. Not like the rest of his season is in danger. Um, but, I mean, you talk about a shoe-in for, for rookie of the year unless – Rutschman just continues to tear it up the last two months of the year, and Rodriguez misses a lot of time. Um, but he was an American League All-Star. He was in the home run derby. I mean, it's an exciting time to be a Seattle Mariners fan right now. Yeah, absolutely. And Yeah, I mean, I give him all the credit for actually being aggressive, being bold, and going and making an effort to make the playoffs. Because I think 
you know, it seems like in recent years, and again, maybe this is shifting with the new wildcard format, but it seems like teams are almost taking playoff berths for granted, and I hate that. You know, the goal should be make the playoffs, go from there. We've seen in the past with Atlanta, among other recent examples, where if you make the playoffs, you have a good team, which, you know, if you're making the playoffs, you probably have a good team at some level. Who knows? You know, you can make a run all the way to the World Series. The Dodgers are not guaranteed a World Series title. The Yankees are not guaranteed the American League pennant. Things happen in the postseason because that's just the nature of smaller sample sizes. Give yourself a chance, you know? Give yourself a chance to actually hoist the trophy. Yeah, definitely. I've been staying up late on the West, watch some of those West Coast Mariners games. Uh, it, it, it's exciting, and you know, even though they're in the thick of it with the Rays, I'm, I'm kind of rooting them on a little bit. And if somehow uh, the Rays postseason doesn't go to plan, uh, I'll be rooting for for the Mariners uh, the rest of the way. So, I want to talk about maybe a trade uh, you didn't like for whatever reason? <laughs> yeah, I would go with a Josh Hader trade because, oh gosh, for so many reasons. I mean. I think this trade has already gotten more bad publicity this week because of a Denison Lamette situation where mm, you know, yeah. they designated him for assignment two days after acquiring him. And because of his service time situation, you know, he could reject an optional assignment. And then he ends up on waivers to the Rockies. And it's just like, okay, you traded your all-star closer for four players. And one of them has already gone from the organization before he even makes an appearance. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. And to be fair, he was going to be a non-tenor candidate anyway. So his inclusion in that deal, you know, eh, probably just financially fueled on San Diego's part. The other pieces of the return, though, I mean, we know how relievers were. It's perfectly conceivable to me that Rodgers will outpitch Hader the rest of the season just because, you know, we're talking, what, 20 innings max, probably less than that. You know, it's possible. I get that part, but I don't like the optics of it. I don't really like the entire return. I mean, uh, Ruiz is probably a very fun reserve player. But unless the Brewers know something about him that I don't, which is totally possible, I don't see him being more than that. And then with Gasser, I will concede that he fits their type perfectly. He is, you know, a low slot lefty. He's going to probably have really good uh, induced vertical break numbers and approach angle numbers and all that. And if he told me that he ended up being the best player they got back and that they shined him into something really nice, you know, maybe he's their next Eric Lauer or something, I would believe that. But, you know, we have to talk about what's in front of us right now. And for me, him being basically the one long-term piece they got back, it's more than a bench player or whatever. It's kind of inconceivable because, you know, Josh Hader has been one of, if not the best believers of his generation. And to trade him out the deadline to a team you might face in October while you're the division leader is just really hard to wrap my head around at least. And it kind of goes back to what I said about, you know, being very cold and very calculating. It's like, okay, Let's remember, guys, the point of this is to win games. It's not to look smart. It's not to win the efficiency ground. It's to win games and win World Series trophy. Yeah, it did feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe the maybe similar to the Rays school of thought, a bit of a, a galaxy brain trade where the Brewers thought, ooh, look, we get all these, these fun pieces that may turn into something, and in five years maybe we look like geniuses and Josh Hader never returns to the form he was pitching at like two months ago. Like, who knows? Yeah. Um, but like you said, yeah, it's not a trade they had to make. And, you know, you look at San Diego, who not only acquired Juan Soto, <laughs> but they got maybe the best first base slash DH back in, at the deadline, the best reliever at the deadline. Oh, and they also got Brandon Drury, who hit a grand slam in his debut. <laughs> so it, it, they are they the real winners of, the, of this deadline? Oh, gosh, I think they have to be. Them are the Reds, because, again, uh, the Reds really cleaned up prospect-wise, but they're on different ends of the spectrum, right? So 
both of them can win in their own way. And I actually thought Brandon Drury might be a raise target. He just felt like very raisey to me, you know, his small tracking data is pretty solid. He can play a couple different positions. He just felt like the kind of under the radar guy Tampa Bay would add. So I'd actually have interest in learning if they made a run at him and if so, what exactly that deal entailed. Yeah, I was curious to see if the Rays were going to go back to Cincinnati and maybe look for either a Drury or a Tommy Pham. Uh, they were starting yes. to get a little left-handed heavy when they added Peralta. And you look at the guys they've got ready to come back, like Wander Franco, switch hitter. Uh, so maybe they'd be looking for, for one more right-handed bat. Uh, even a, never yeah, even a Donovan Solano. Yeah. Even a no, Solano. That... You know, you could slot in. I mean, I don't – his defense is not very good, mind you. So maybe they just prefer Chang because of that factor. But he's proven to be a solid hitter against left-handed pitching. And, again, he kind of fits that mold of what Tampa Bay seemingly likes – yeah, definitely. So if the if the Padres are the winners of the deadline, other than the Nationals for obviously trading away Juan <laughs> Soto, who who are the biggest losers for you? Yeah, I guess I kind of have to mention Milwaukee because of the hater trade, how I didn't really like it for them. Uh, I guess I would say some of the losers are defined by inactivity. You know, I felt the Guardians should have done more than they did because, again, don't take playoff burps for granted. Uh, the Rockies are kind of in their own special category. Not because I thought they would have gotten a haul back for Chad Cool or Jose Iglesias or you know any of those names, but you know their general manager coming out and saying, "Well, we're the only team who signed someone to an extension of the deadline." When the Braves signed Austin Riley to an extension like 24 hours earlier, and the Padres signed Joe Musgrove to an extension earlier that week, that's pretty sketchy. And you know we all make jokes about the Rockies operating in their own realm of existence, uh, you know, their own realm, and uh, that. Comments like that don't really help matters because, like, for one, it's not an extension deadline, and for two, no, it's actually incorrect. So I don't know. It's uh, that team is just. Here's the thing, though. I love that team in a sense because I prefer old school incompetence to new school apathy or indifference. You know, I'd rather I, give me the Colorado Rockies over the recent versions of the Baltimore Orioles any day of the week. Because at least there's humor okay. in that. It's not just oh yeah, they're intentionally they're intentionally building a bad product because they think that. This is the only way to build a winner. You know, I prefer the, yeah, they kept their 37-year-old reliever because they have feelings. Um, that just seems okay. you know, more romantic to me. And they still went out and, like, acquired, uh, you know, they signed uh, Chris Bryant last year. It's not like they're not trying, right? They're not tanking, clearly. Uh, they're trying to to get better, you know, whether yeah. or not they're going about, the, 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 going about that in the right way. Who's to say? I could probably say they're not. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think we could say they're not, but I do appreciate where their heart is, even if their mind is perhaps not in the right area. And the last thing I want to touch on, because you mentioned the Joe Musgrove extension, um, five years, a hundred million. They've already got Fernando Tatis on a crazy extension, Manny Machado on a huge deal. Juan Soto still has two years left of team control. They're already over the luxury tax again for like a second or third straight year. It, I don't want to look too far in advance, and I don't think this probably maybe went to the calculations a little bit when they made the trade. Uh, but is there a chance that Juan Soto is able to ink, you know, the extension that he's looking for in San Diego? I mean, I think we've kind of learned don't rule out AJ Preller from doing, you know, these kind of things. So I guess it would be stupid to say no. Um, do I think it's like super likely? I don't know. I mean, part of being a good general manager is coercing that buy-in from above, right? And Preller has his faults. I know upper front office can make fun of his, you know, freewheeling ways, and I get it, because, you know, we all joke about AJ Preller's going to go out there and make 70 trades 
you know, this off season or whatever. And he gets like pretty close to that, but whatever relationship he has with the ownership there clearly allows him to gain some financial uh, breathing room that I don't think anyone would have expected from San Diego Padres just a few years back. And I think that's great for that fan base. And I think it's great for the game. And I think it goes a long way in showing that these franchises are not really as financially limited as they tell their fans and their supporters or as they claim to be. And it really just comes down to having an owner who wants to win, wants to energize his fan base. I mean, I saw, I don't remember who tweeted this, but I saw someone say that the Padres had to cap their season ticket sold amount or their season ticket availability amount because they had sold so many. And it's just like the Padres, you know, a decade ago, they were watching Kristen Norfia. Now they have yeah. Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto. And oh, by the way, they have, you know, all these other star players as well. I think that's just, I think that's great for the game. It's one of those non-traditional powerhouses that suddenly emerged as a powerhouse. And I just love that. I think it's great. And it's like after their, their collapse last year, I think we can call that a collapse. It's not like they yeah. just <laughs> tore it all down and restarted. No, AJ Preller, maybe by, by choice or maybe by thinking, okay, how long can I stay in this job? continue to go out and, and try to to improve the team and doing it in 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 uh you know very brazen fashion yeah i mean you know a desperate aj preller is probably the most dangerous thing in the entire majors right he feels like he's on the hot seat he's probably gonna do some wild trades and he did i mean he's done it time and again so yeah well RJ, uh, you know, th- thanks again for, for coming on. And uh, now that draft and trade season is over, I, I hope you get some, some much-needed rest. Yeah, time to hibernate until October, right? <laughs> get an independent chase mode. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. If you like what we do on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network, make sure to subscribe or follow on your preferred podcast platform. Leaving a rating or review, if your platform allows it, is the best way to spread what we do to more and more Rays fans. As always, make sure to head on over to DRaysBay.com to check out all of the great Rays coverage. Once again, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.